I have dual citizenship, the United States and Japan, which is quite rare in Japan. So when I was studying for this、uh, high school entrance exam, we have that、uh, every year. And depending on how well I, we do in this high school entrance exam, we actually determine which high school to get into and go to. It occurred to me that、uh, since I am、um, equally American citizen as well as Japanese citizen, I actually, if I chose to do so. How did that happen, actually? How do you, how do you get dual citizen, citizenship?、Uh, like、my mom is an American. And、uh, Japanese American, but she holds American citizenship and she's married to my father, my dad, who is, who is Japanese. So, combined, I have both. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Okay. Well, anyway, then, you know, it so happened that I had that privilege. And I spoke about this、uh, to my parents.、Um, maybe we should, I mean, I, sh- I want to consider really strongly going to、uh, the United States. It helped that、uh, at, at the time, I, they still do, my aunt and my uncle,、uh, my mom's side actually, they live in. In California, they lived at the time in California, Northern California, near San Francisco, and、uh, maybe that I could, you know, go to one of those, one of the high schools there. It was interesting because then my dad said, Well, if you want to go, you need to first of all pass the entrance exam for the high school that you were deciding to go to. Then once you pass that test, then I will let you go, he said. And thus began even more rigorous studying of the, you know, whatever the topics in high, you know, junior high, you know, you know little studies. Did you know any English at the time? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs>、um, actually, no, not so much. Even though this thing I regret in a way because、uh, my mom spoke English. Half of the time in our house, and、uh, to her mom, my grandmother. And,、uh, you know, I, I probably learned some primers in the pronunciation, and I, get, I guess I got my ears attuned to American pronunciation from that listening experience. But what happened was that since I was in Japan, I was more swayed to speak Japanese. I mean, of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I passed the high school you know, examination, but not till I went to California did I really, really struggle to learn English. And、uh, like maybe by the time the third year in the United States you know, came by, I think by the time I was speaking more or less better. Because my, one, of my, one of my first experiences in, like,、uh, that I remember being bombarded literally by English was that after arriving at, in,、uh, to, in, at the San Francisco airport,、uh, my aunt and my uncle and myself, and at the time my, my mom and my sister actually decided to come with me for a while. And、uh, so they were there. What happened was that we went to diner. We went to a diner and,、uh, you know, there was like lots of menu and,、uh, you know, some pancakes or whatnot, which seemed in- enticing. So I decided to order it. But then what happened was this server asked me if I wanted something on, you know, on the side or whatever. But I all sounded like one huge 
slug of slurred sound like and this it was, was in san francisco yeah this was in san francisco and i was traumatized i mean her speech happened so quickly i didn't know what she was saying and you're like oh god this is my life now right yeah, yeah, yeah. and then i became so paranoid that if i were to go out by myself I would be spoken and I would be approached and I would not know what to answer. I guess I was partly afraid also because it was not too long after this incident in um, one of the southern states, I think, that uh, this Japanese kid at the time, somehow the, this guy was shot to death because I guess he did not hear the instruction or whatever that uh, the other person was, you know, with a gun holding. Was I mean, and so it, it was kind of really scary to me all all this experience, and I was afraid. I so I would ask my aunt to go somewhere with me, you know, and all that. But then one day, my aunt, being so, I mean, sometimes she she's a very strict person, and um, she said, "Well." You have to go by yourself, you know, he said, uh, she said. And then I, I thought about it. I thought about it, you know, maybe an hour or so later. Okay, I'll go by myself. And I wanted to go to Barnes & Noble, actually, the bookstore. I don't know why I did, but um, I went there. That was the first destination I, I made by myself. And um, I remember, I still remember, I bought two books then. Cambridge Companion to Clarinet. I don't know why I brought that book to begin with, but but then also this Dover edition of the Daphne and Chloe of Ravel, the for, for ballet score, and um, those two books I bought for the first time, and that was the first venture that I did by myself, and I think that uh, come to think of it, that was really remarkable step for me because. I realized that it's not too scary. Of course, I mean, anything accompanies danger. But in fact, I need to step out of my comfort zone and do stuff. And that was like one of the first-hand lessons that I got. And to this date, I still cherish this memory. Yeah. What else have you done to get out of your comfort zone? To get out of the comfort zone? I actually, uh, for the time I was there in uh, California, I didn't really speak so much Japanese, nor did I really have the desire to. And so in a way, it was a moment for me to almost, not totally, but reconfigure my thought process, I guess. I don't know if it's actually psychologically or scientifically possible, but because I was acquiring entirely new language, which had completely different grammatical structure I think that there were a few basic ideas that I wanted to convey which in order to do do so I had to think in a, a fairly different way like for example you know um, in Japanese language we don't have to really say the word I to imply that it's you know what I'm talking about is myself whereas if you miss that in English language, you kind of don't know what you're talking about, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah. others are talking about. And those kind of things, now I find that is one of the significant things. But, you know, at the time, I had to take it and just learn it. So I think, you know, comfort zone also in a way that I 
really rapidly had to learn English. And yeah. you really had to rewire your brain to Ex- do yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, at the time what happened was that for the first time in my life, I took private lesson in clarinet. This was, you know, five months after I moved to California or something like that. And then um, at the time I started to compose more. But what was different compared to the time I was in Japan was that I was more open about it. You know, I, I would tell people I composed. Of course, still, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, pieces, obviously. It's one of those juvenile pieces, obviously. But, yeah, um, of course, we all have yeah, those. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all guilty of those. Oh, God. Anyway, um, but I really start to find the act of composing really interesting, you know. Then came my senior year in high school, you know. You know, this high school senior, like often portrayed in the um, American culture, like TV shows and all that. Yeah, you know, I had one of those too. Not really so much, actually. Um, I was one of the weirdos. Uh, you know, just into music and trying to learn desperately English. <laughs> the choir director at the time, uh, he, he asked me, "What are you gonna do for your college?" And then it occurred to me. Gosh, I am about to graduate. Probably I have to think about that. And then he suggested a few schools, uh, New England conservatories, uh, a few conservatories. You knew it was going to be music. More or less, yes, I yeah. knew it. Also funny, I, I go back you know, a little bit. When I first decided to come to the United States and study, I told my dad that the reason I wanted to go was actually for me to try to learn and be proficient in English. And I almost hardly mentioned anything about music then because if I were to say, I'm going to go to the United States to study music, I think he, had, he would have had a different reaction. Yeah, yeah. A bit more, uh, you know, even more skeptical, let's say, for lack of a better, better word. But then at the time, it was, I guess it was no secret to anybody that I really thought music was a really passionate thing that I really loved to do. So I, just, I wanted to maybe, you know, try to do something about it. So I looked up different schools, you know, music schools, like so New England Conservatory, San Francisco Conservatories, uh, a few other places. I then felt this inferiority complex at the time because, you know, I, I was struggling to learn English, first of all. And I really didn't have much of formal education in music. And I had this imagination that those who, you know, go to these conservatories are all child prodigies and they work so hard every, every day for eight hours a week, a day to, uh, just be confined in the piano room or, playing violin, you know, during the night or whatever. I mean, in retrospect, now you know that's not true. That's not really true, but I felt that way. And I felt like I was in so many respects behind anybody uh, who would go to these places. So I was really reluctant about anything. Until then, you know, then... My choir teacher then said to me, well, look, um, maybe, maybe you might want to try this place. And it was this place called University of the Pacific. And then I got accepted both as the clarinet 
and clarinet performance major and as a composition major. So I was doing double major. Then I went there, then started this, you know, quest of, you know, composition lesson, which at first it was nearly traumatic because, I mean, I've never had that kind of lesson, you know, like um, going to, you know, a teacher's room and show this teacher uh, my my pieces and uh, I, I, I'm told like no that doesn't work yes that does work anyway the four years there in college was extremely important then after that you know took a year of break oh I didn't know you took a year of break yeah I did um, well, did you work um I visited different schools uh, just to see how it was like. So I went to visit, like, actually, what happened was the the year I graduated uh, from the University of the Pacific in 2004, I was invited, actually, I was, I went to two music, summer music programs. One was Norfolk, uh, a summer music, school of music, uh, yeah, the, 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 the Yale, Yale, Yale summer yeah, yeah. school. And um, then I also went to the Pacific Music Festival, which is in Sapporo, Japan. It was one of those things that uh, there were, there, it's, a, it's primarily targeted for instrumentalists, for the orchestra academy kind of thing. But back then, there was a composition program. And the teacher then was Toshi Ichianagi, who is a Japanese protege of John Cage. I was picked by him. I was one of the two that were picked by him to attend this festival that year. But that year after that, I took a break just to go see what kind of graduate schools there are. Visited Yale, Northwestern, Columbia here, University of Kansas City, Missouri. That's about it. And then then what happened was that I applied to those places. I got into some places. I didn't get into some places. Uh, then this Yale School of Music thing, you know, was it seemed to be the best offer and all that. So I thought I would choose to go there. I mean, it was it was interesting because I mean I was told by you know my teachers in California that uh, East East Coast is far different from uh, West Coast. In what way? Oh, you know, people's personalities are different. Oh, I thought you just meant the educational program. That, that, yeah. that too, uh, the musical geography is, of course, it's different. So you're at Yale, you do the graduate degree. Um, we were odd ducks at Yale, weren't we? <laughs> were you too? I mean, yeah, uh, I, thought, I, I, I mean, I, I love the people there, and I'm, and actually, I'm mm, glad I, in retrospect, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad I went to that school because it gave me a perspective. That I'm glad I now have, especially after going to Europe and kind of experiencing highly subsidized music making. I mean, I've thought a lot about my experience at Yale. In retrospect now, I could say that it was an important experience for me to be there, but not because it was positive in fact, oh my God! <laughs> it, it was it was quite. You were very well respected. Though. Everybody lo- everybody loved what you were doing. Yeah, but but the problem with that was it seemed to me there were few colleagues who were particularly harsh, and uh, they did not really have the ability to try to have, let's say, the Socratic dialogue or 
are some kind of、uh, meaningful, constructive criticism, you know, discussions. It almost sounded like as though what I was doing there was taken as kind of a, you know, criticism or accusation for what I did. I mean, I'm glad that you know you you say you know people respected me, and I'm tremendously grateful for that. But I did not know. And you know, and it, it's it's a re- really it's really, amazing though、yeah. how those things work because it's、yeah. like uh, uh, composers are such a way that if they like something a lot, it's they're always comparing it to themselves, so they're oh they're they're going to be hesitant to actually go and、yeah. openly admit it to the person. I think, yeah, like actually going up to the person after the concert, and being like, I really like that. For、yeah. like, it somehow messes with their ego to be able to have to admit that to the other person. You know, I did not know that, and.、Yeah. Also, another thing that seemed to have made an impression on me there was that the school had this rather career-driven aspect to it, and so quite a few composers had already come to the school, having won so many different accolades of things. Uh, different prizes, different scholarships, and different you know or performances by some well-known, established figures. I had none of that almost, and、um, you know, like at the end of every year, the School of Music gives away、um, some awards. I was one of the rare composers for having been there three years to graduate with none of these awards from the school. I got nothing out of that. I wasn't there to get awards, to you know. So just so you know, I mean, I wasn't there to get an award to begin with. It's I was there to study and all that. But you know, the the fact that everybody else got it, something, but you know, not really me, was little strange to me. And I mean,、uh, it also made me feel that you know. Maybe what I do may not be a cup of tea, or you know, to to put it in a mild way. And somehow that made me feel even more distant in a way.、Uh, and、uh, and funny, also another incident that、uh, that took was that you know at schools like Yale or wherever nowadays that this happens everywhere. This career assistance kind of lecture, you know, people from ASCAP or BMI would come and then talk about how to you know present and you know how to do the copyright thing and the most boring lectures yeah, yeah, you've yeah. ever heard yeah, in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I would go there, but I found that almost everything not immediately useful or something that would not apply to me, precisely because, for example, I had not much of a review for me. I mean, for of my music at the time, I was studying Martin, and、uh, I addressed the issue. You know, I'm, I I really I find it interesting this lecture, but I don't have much of a review. And you know all he could say, I'm sure. I mean, there was nothing else for him to say to me. Was that well, you have to work somehow to get those reviews, and、uh, that was it. And I felt,、uh, you know, somehow there was the kind of weird disconnect between myself and the level of some fictitious self that where I was supposed to be as one of the students at. Yell, and I felt rather bizarre about that. So I think that in this, at the end of the second year, when I got the master's degree, 
I felt that I needed one more year, but I would use that year to try to build myself even more. And I would. As a composer, as pure, a composer purely as someone with unique point of view and strong aesthetic yeah, statements and the skills yeah, to match that. Yeah, or I mean, I'll try it, try it. And then, and then probably I would probably get out of the place, you know, after the third year. So what I did was this artist diploma degree for the third year now, the uh, Yale. For that year that you're saying I need the extra time to build myself up, what direction are you going in? What ideas are you incorporating into your music? How are you? thinking and yeah yeah uh, so yeah well i mean i also you know wanted to learn a bit more about computer assisted compositions so actually uh at the time uh, this uh, fellow by the name of uh michael klingbeil uh, who was starting to teach at yale the department of music i decided to study under him that year because i uh then i could probably learn things like spear that's his program but also um we kind of i mean he he taught me but you know we were figuring out the nuts and bolts of open music which is the aircam's uh, you know favorite program i guess yeah i was actually experimenting with that a little bit i guess that uh, in my second year i wrote the piece for wind ensemble even then I, at the time i was i was starting to be interested in the idea of sound and when i say sound not just the regular sound but any kind of sound made created by you know acoustic instrument as a veritable you know platform and one of the vocabularies to work with i mean in, in a way i was i guess approaching in my own way to the somewhat to the thoughts of the laheman for example and somehow uh, i was very interested in his ideas and that's what i st- not really copy, but I was trying to investigate on my own. I started to do these things, and then I wrote that little piece, you know, five-minute piece uh, for 36 musicians or whatever, and much of it is based on this algorithmic th- things that I somehow patched using uh, open music. So in fact... I wrote that almost entire piece, uh, well, part of it, maybe in a week or something like that. And it was in a way, um, at the time, I guess, I was dejected somehow, you know, as I said before. But I also felt rather angry about things, I guess. And (laughs) I guess that was my way to let the anger, that's kind of a sticky middle finger or something like that, you know, to this idea of composition in... I guess I had my, I guess my, you know, uh, bursts of rebellion or something like that. Yeah, within a piece or something. Yeah, within a piece, obviously. But uh, yeah, so that that was that was what's ha- what was happening. You know, I applied to Harvard and Columbia then, and uh, I was accepted at Columbia. Well, I mean, I, I came here. Do you use these methods now to when composing? What's your methodology like now? I mean, um, is it different every time, or it's it's fairly different every time, I would say. But 
But there's I, something coherent about what you do. Yeah. It's always been characterized by the idea that I make some kind of research and lots of sketches before I start to write notes. By research, what do you mean? Like, this is an interesting sound. Let me push it through open music and see what the pitches are. That could be one. But uh, let's say that um, the in my most recent works, I had these opportunities to work with, uh, you know, in performers and I would hear you know him or her played instruments try to come up with different sounds you know and how to produce it and that really make, makes me question the idea of how to properly notate things and what kind of notational possibilities there will be and also what kind of combina- combining the those you know ideas could be and so for that, I, you know, sketch out a lot. I mean, I have this modest skin that I carry all the time, and I try to sketch out these ideas. I actually, you know, don't use so much the open music for, like, uh, trying to come up with pitches so much. I actually use for, like, some really purely computational things, like like to to do some kind of a permutations in the intervals or you know for example you know that i i could use my brain you know maybe i should use when uh, when my mind is still you know young and maybe soft in my my brain but uh, sometimes i have a lot of that and i want something that i can do instantaneously so i would you know have you know patch the open music and then let that thing spit out there, you know, a little bit. In in the most recent piece, the the piece that I just finished uh, for the for Gaudiamus, um, it's partly based on the recording of the of me using uh, using a plectrum, and I I'm kind of uh, scratching the lowest two chords of the t- two strings of the piano, which creates this guero like <laughs> sound. And um, what I did was I then fed that into the uh, into the whatever the open music, and it spits out a few different series of numbers using that series of numbers as a kind of a idea, and then I would apply it to some kind of duration of the piece or 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 not just pitches, in other words, or maybe I I could actually patch something that would spit out the you know notes. And maybe take that as a kind of a hint, but what I always found it really interesting about open music or, or whatever is that you know there's a there's often said that there's danger of patch uh, you know using these softwares ending up sounding like some archetype of that particular softwares you know, and I also realized that might be the case. In fact, after all, you know this is a the this is the you know software that was really used often by Trista Mirai, for example. I you know, I didn't want to, you know, particularly, you know, compose music that sounded like Trista Mirai or anything. You know, I wanted to try to see what I can do with it. And so, you know, I tried to use that as just a hint because then I will come with this data that's that's pure, but then I start to almost dialectically, you know, alter things.
Do you think the hint is there just because you need a hint to get started? Or do you think the hint is actually a concrete clue that'll lead you to the thing that is the original inspiration? Do you know what I mean by that? Was that confusing? It was confusing to me a little bit. Oh, yeah, it was a little. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. okay. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me try and come yeah. up with an uh, example. You really, like, you were you were taking the plectrum uh, right. and doing the bottom two strings. Yeah. And that was an interesting sound, and you wanted to create a piece that was representative of that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you put it into this computer program, and it gives you something that was a hint. Is that hint simply something that maybe really isn't even related to the plectrum sound and it's just something that you need to inspire you abstractly to get you started? Or do you think it's actually something that's really important that you have because if you don't have it, then you won't know how to actually connect to that two lower string plectrum Ah, scratch. Yeah, Yeah, um, it's kind of both. My my departure from my piece could be anywhere really. I wanted some kind of impulse, whether that is actual physical impulse or maybe metaphysical impulse. In this case, it was, I mean, I mean, of course, in the piece, actually, I used that plectrum sound, you know, on the, against the piano, but that's used in a more, it's not related to the overall, whatever the data that I came up with. Whatever this initial impulse or, let's say, inspiration I have, then I get this pure data to then try to support it against or then try to make a dialectical clash against so that what happens then is that I try to lead to the initial inspiration I had but at the same time through this dialectical process of whatever data I come I come up with I would then be discovering something completely different that I never expected. And in fact, that's how it is to me. Like, um, just because I have initial impulse or, you know, whatever inspiration I might have, that for me is only like 1% of, you know, the process, you know. The rest 99% is yet to be discovered. And, uh, you know, for example, just because I have this pure data, that doesn't mean that we'll go everything will go into the music. Uh, it's something then I will you know, try to ask myself and constant asking, right? I mean, uh, the co- composing really. And, you know, see what is best suited for some some other things that actually I wanted to do maybe that might be related somehow to the initial impulse or whatever I had. It's a very uh, convoluted process, really, I think. <laughs> if I may say, really, I think because... Um, it's not as easy as recording some nice sound and like uh, try to come up a fast free transform uh, kind of representation of the of the whatever sound I came up with kind of thing. You know, it's not easy yeah, like but, that. You but, know? But, but, but that process <laughs> you just described is yeah. exactly how you sound, how you fall into that trap of sounding like the program. Right. Is because you're letting the program do everything for you. So it's right. going to be just as much it or even more it as it is yeah. the person who is interpreting it. I like to think of open music for example as one of the one of my personal calculators. You know, if when you have when you do math homework, you know, it's you who has who has to, you know, ultimately do the calculation. But sometimes, you know, you need the, you know, graphing calculator to, you know, do the precise plotting of the curve or whatever. And for that, it's useful. And uh, for me, I like to think of open music 
as that, if I have certain conception that I want to accomplish, then I would program in a certain way. Then it will give me certain answers to the, my initial desire. But then I then turn into the source of skepticism so I can move on. How does it relate to the solo uh, cello piece? What's your, what was your initial jumping up point? You know, I, I, I knew somehow some ideas for how to write for cello. And, and because um, previous to that, I had written, um, you know, a little short piece for piano and cello. So cello was a recurring theme for me uh, at the time. And uh, I worked on that really quickly. So it was like a, the, maybe in a week, maybe actually five days I finished that piece and um, so it's what happens is that every day I write uh, maybe you know three four lines of music then I would give it to the performer uh, the cellist who then play it and we workshop together it was really really fascinating because it was the first time that I worked extremely closely like really closely with the cellist but also uh, it was led by this uh, Finnish cellist Ansi Kartunen, also the composer Magnus Lindbergh, and then also the clarinet player Heng Kalevi. Uh, those were the three mentors for this workshop. So Mr. Lindbergh and uh, Mr. Kartunen were presiding over this like workshop sessions, and uh, Mr. Kartunen would uh, you know come up and uh, you know take the cello from my collaborator and try to come up with different sound and solutions which I get inspired again and then write more. I realized then how important it was. I mean I knew already at the time how important it was to you know work with people directly but it was one of the, one of the first pieces that I did that uh, came out of this close collaboration. Yeah but so close that you're like weaving into one like the day to, it's day to day. It's not let's have a workshop yeah. Then I'll go write the piece, and we'll have another workshop, and then the piece will be finished. Yeah. It was every day, every a little day. bit more music, tweaking and tweaking, building yeah. and building, yeah. tweaking and tweaking. That's yeah. uh, that's good. It was really in, uh, a piece that was a little different for me because the the way I notated it was slightly different. I mean, I had to do it by hand, but uh, I decided, you know, a, a little different configuration for notation which is precise in terms of where it's fingered, for example, the finger. But it's it's really the notation that describes the action between the bridge and the fingerboard. So it's really tiny last bits of the last bit of the string. But you take it and you expand it on the page to make it more right. specific. Okay. Yeah. But there's this, you know, fuzziness that occurs in the time of realization because if there were three or f- ten different cellists trying to perform the piece, everyone would sound slightly different because everybody's finger the, the, is in someone is thin, has thinner finger than others who has thicker whatever. So which means that the maneuver maneuverability of the fingers is a little different from person to person. And cellos yeah. are built differently and have yeah, different absolutely. sounds in that register too. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I, I was really fascinated by this, uh, what I like to say, the imperfection of Western notation. Of course, I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things that's like you have to critically investigate 
the nature of notation. But I mean, I, I kind of like to deal with the idea of taking this bona fide, the taking for granted almost kind of notation and trying to endanger it and try to not scrutinize, but uh, try to see so that there's actually some kind of loophole and uh, music may not be about notation, but actually it's, it's, it shows a kind of a, that kind of thought process of trying to, you know, trying to, trying to critically investigate the nature of music making that way.
The gravitational field that seems to be pulling you towards its center appears to be, in general, of Europe. How do you feel like your relationship is here in the United States to your music? So tell me about um, that relationship. Is there a conflict of interest? Are you only located here because of Colombia? Do you have future plans to, you know, you must have thoughts on this. Well, there, there are quite a few thoughts about it. After a while, I graduated from Yale. I had this... You know, because at the time I somehow it was, I mean, I might have misheard it. In that case, I'm very sorry, but I did hear it was that Yale 
was a institution or the school of music, the composition department was a kind of place where uh, to found uh, um, a sense the kind of uh, this kind of American music. Obviously, because of what I just you know I said in the interview, I didn't feel so blended, so to say. This kind of uh, out of blendedness, I carried with me for quite a long time until I came here at Columbia, where. I somehow was able to have more productive and dialogic and very wonderful discussion with my colleagues here. I think that uh, that helped me alleviate some of the anxieties about myself being placed in the in the United States. Now, I also agree with you that uh, my music tends to gravitate towards Europe. It seems to me that of the things that I was able to receive, it seems to come from Europe. To the question whether I would move or maybe even have a things in Europe, that I don't know because, as I said, I I'm a dual citizenship. I, mean, I have a dual citizenship here in Japan. I mean, unless it's kind of a re- residency program, it's still really uh, hard to reach uh, in Europe um, unless you know. Uh, I, I if I could do like a de a de the Berliner Künstler program, for example, then that's great. But um, then, but I'm certainly curious and interested in doing that. Uh, and also, one thing I realized after after going to the Gaudiamus Festival in 2011. And you know, spend some time in Europe. There was that. Up to that point, I had this imagination that Europe somehow is heaven for everything. Like, if 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 I had the problem in the United States, maybe Europe would be the answer, and Europe could resolve some kind of issues. But little did I know, and I was kind of stupid not to realize it. But problem exists everywhere. You no, know, I had the same problem till I went over there. I was like, it's going to be so much better once I get over there. It'll be so easy. And then when I get so got over there, I was like, oh, different set of problems, but definitely the, maybe the same amount of problems. Yeah. yeah. And so all things considered, to me, my ideal situation is to stay strong in the United States and try to stay in New York because it would be very good to have the opportunity to visit, just take E-Train down to JFK Airport and fly out to Europe or something like that. That's fine. As for the scene in the United States and my music is concerned, I mean, if you go to my website, you can see how much of performance schedule I'm list I'm listing. In fact, not much. In fact, some composers I you know I'm sure you've interviewed and all that, but yeah, it's quite quite a few of them are listing all these performances with their music. I have almost nothing, you know. But in a way, it's inevitable because I had this discussion with you know with uh, with actually uh, Ari Streisfeld of Jack, you know who. We were talking about many things, and he said, "You know, Yoshi, in this country, you need to start. Uh, you need to do things on your own, kind of like that. You know, stuff like that." And I find it very important. That I do that too. I mean, it, it, after all, the the first less in experience of Barnes and Noble thing, that was something I did too. You know, I decided to go out and footstep, do things something on my own, and so. I'm trying to rectify 
some kind of issue of lack of performance of my music and also lack of opportunities to conduct because I'm also very much active as conductor and I think I'm not too shabby as a conductor. I don't know. But I'm actually, you know, together with a few of my friends here trying to do an ensemble, set up an ensemble. Is that how you're going to rectify this um, thing? Partly, but anything that has something to do with music and the fact that I would do those music, you know, whether I conduct either my music or somebody else's music, I think that would keep me very happy and well-grounded as a person because I think that, you know, in the end, uh, when I go to bed and when I wake up, I am, you know, if I say what I do in my life, I do music, really. Of course, I live, obviously, that's important. But, I mean, as a, for lack of a better word, profession, I'm a, I'm a composer and musician, and it's important that, you know, it's it's good to keep myself busy in doing that. And I think that, um, you know, I think um, in the spirit of do-it-yourself in the United States, that seems to be very dominating. I think it's important that I learn, you know, th- the lesson from that kind of spirit as well. Besides, it's really fun to do, you know, things whether it's patching Max MSP little little toy ish thing or you know do, doing things is very important. I think it's really psychologically healthful. Yeah, I, well, I mean, doing things is very important. I think what the problem is is there's a lot of things you have to do up till the doing of the thing. Does that make sense? So, so you want to conduct an ensemble piece, right? right? Or you want to start conducting more and you want to start your ensemble is something you just said, but also theoretically. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're a composer and a conductor. You mm-hmm. do those two things well. It's fine practicing, you know, conducting and putting in the work of sitting down at a desk and, yeah. you know, putting notes on a page or tablature, you know, yeah, whatever right, it is. Right. But then there's the bureaucracy of it. Getting the money to fill out the grants. Yeah. Organizing the players. Yeah. This person is sick. This person is a diva. You know, like oh boy. or like all 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 that yeah. all that organizational stuff are the things you have to do before you do the thing you want to do, and I think that's what like everybody would do it themselves if it was the, if it was simply easy as getting up in the morning and just doing it. But there's a bunch of other stuff that you have to, and then also another skill set. Yeah, that you have to develop in order to do those things. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, then it's not like the twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week thing that I would be doing just to f- fill up the grant thing. It's part of my life, you know. I also continue to compose as long as there's a demand for it, or something like that, you know. And so it's part of the thing that would keep me occupied, let's say. And uh, e- anything, I think. Um, if you try to see in a positive sense, it could be a good lesson. Transforming what what seems to be the obstacle into something that's positive, that seems to be like a recurring theme. And I, I think this ensemble thing is going to be very important too. And uh, it's one of the reasons that will keep me here. Of course, it would be great to have... Uh, my my music perform a bit more maybe but you know i mean but it's happening in but it's happening in europe you know you have these two big pieces coming up uh, absolutely so, so i'm i'm so, yeah i'm still very much grateful and uh i 
mean, you have to keep at it, obviously. And uh, but I think that um, as for I mean, to to go back to your question about United States and Europe thing, I mean, I think that it's going to be an uh, challenge, but at the same time, it's my goal to balance because I think that being successful in the United States alone does not necessarily mean anything. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be the successful sort of you know, thing. That's not my final goal. I mean, I guess it, may, it might be, but I want to write something that's music that's really strong, that something that has some certain impact, you know, for myself really. And I think that it's important to. You know, have certain presence in the United States and in Europe. Japan, well, I don't know actually. Japan, you might wonder about it because you know. Yeah, yeah. don't look at me. I don't know yeah, anything yeah, either. Yeah. How could I? Well, you know, it's funny. I lived there for fifteen years, and then I left the country. Uh, the the uh, funny thing about m- me is that in this country, people think I'm a Japanese composer. Which I'm quite okay, but when I go to go back to Japan, I am considered as the international composer. What that means really is that, like, you know, like how funny saying about Texans, you know, once Texans, a Texan, you know, go out goes out to other states in New York, or whatever, and we when they come back to Texas, they're like, oh. You're not so much a Texan anymore, sort of thing. I mean, it's it's a, it's a funny it's a funny way of saying it. But um, since I went out of Japan, it's kind of a I got a kind of weird stamp that I'm not somehow pure Japanese. And in fact, it's funny because another important composer whom I studied over the second Pacific Music Festival that I went to was Toshio Hosokawa. And he says to me how I'm not a Japanese person or something. He said that to you? Yeah, he says but that. But he's also spent tons of time abroad, right? He was, yes. He has a big career in Germany. And also, I think he studied there for a while, if I remember correctly. I mean, I find his uh, his comments, it's, it's a kind of riddle to me. And it's a very thought-provoking comments. I'm not uh, necessarily offended by it. It's not like that. In fact, one of the, the important things that he said to me um, was that, and he, he, he called out to me, and he, uh, I had had a performance at the Pacific Music Festival for which he was the teacher at the time in 2007 now, or eight, I think. Um, and, and he said to me, whoa, you should find your own culture. I, uh, he, he said, he said, you should, you should find the culture. And, uh, if there is no immediate one, you have to create on your own, he said in Japanese. I mean, this is rough translation of it. But, um, that really got me thinking. In a way, it somehow made sense to me. I mean, somehow the, the music I write should have some kind of, uh, myself in it. And, uh, this, this self is not necessarily purely Japanese. Not necessarily purely American. Uh, in a way, it calls into the question of cultural identity. Uh, in a way, as a composer, it's a trap, I think, to just immediately take something that's immediately recognizable. Uh, because, uh, I mean, the the crude example would be, I mean. Just because Japanese traditional music had a, the pentatonic or s- some kind of scale, you would uh, take 
pentatonic scale and use it into the Western music. To me, that's really dangerous because you are making some kind of museum out of some kind of culture that is supposed to still be living and somehow being cultivated, you know. And I feel that、uh, in my personal creative act, that's not something I should do necessarily to try to,、uh, you know, borrow something that's easy to borrow. In fact, and immediately identifiable. Right. In fact, if anything, the core of things are something that's. Hidden, you know, in the underneath of so many things, lay, layer of things, and to me, I want to target that. And、um, Japan is, I mean, I I respect Japan, obviously. I mean, if I'm from there, I love the culture too. But it's just that it's also very much of a country that if you did not study and study with some teachers, a person. It's really, really hard to get into the system.、Uh, it, it's really like Paris, I think, or French scene in these days. It's like you have to get inside the system somehow. But it seems to me that even to fellow Japanese people, Japan is—it's really difficult. In fact, I think. And so, but do、yeah. you need it? I mean, you don't really. Um, you know what I mean? Like you're saying, oh, it's so difficult to get into the system. But you're here. You have performances in Europe. You're gonna start. You sound like you're, you know, starting something here in New York. Do you need a career there? Do you need to find your way into the system there? I don't immediately find a need, or I don't think it's the right time to invest so much energy in trying to get into the Japanese music scene. But I'm certainly curious about what's going on there, because partly because. There's that. There was that catastrophe in Japan, and that really made me feel even closer to Japan. I mean, in a way, I, I wouldn't say homesick, but in a way that it be, be, became, it made me become more acute to the events.、Um, and this kind of some kind of some kind of thought psychological kind of processes that you know Japanese people go you know go in you know, and also I find, you know, quite a few composers. In Japan, fascinating to listen to. Of course, Mr. Hosokawa too, but a few others too. I mean, I don't mean to cut out my ties necessarily from Japanese culture or、uh, music scene, but it's a. I mean, I'm just, I guess, on the other side of the planet now. On the internet, I'm like kind of looking with a. Binocular, or whatever.、Uh, that's that's kind of weird analogy, but you know, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying I'm 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 trying to see what's happening, and I think that、um, maybe when I'm older, maybe fifty or sixty or whatever. I hope I'm composing still and conducting or whatever. Maybe maybe something might happen that I might you know be invited back or something. Maybe that that could be nice. But you know, so in a way, right now, if anything, I'm trying to keep. Important contact with you know important people and just try to you know really cherish the important things you see. I think in this society it seems every little thing could be very important.、Um, yeah, you never know. Yeah, you never know. Anyway,、um, one of the podcasts I remember people somebody saying、uh, the idea of.、Um, Trying to promote the composers, you know, like、uh, composers should use some Twitter account and post things. So I, I know, I remember my a friend of mine telling me that on Facebook you have to, you know, write something every day or something like that. 
I, th- I just think to myself, you know, I'm not that really. Yeah. Some people are hardwired to do that. Some people aren't. You aren't. <laughs> yeah. Are you or do you? Um. No, I'm. I'm not. It's. It, it's a real effort. Although mm. I've gotten used to it because of this project, I have ah, to yes. update it every week. You know. Right. But as far as like Twitter and stuff, I. I don't. I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I. Uh, I mean. Maybe sometimes I find it not useful to use Twitters and stuff, but yeah, that's kind of uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I I love blogs. Then I can write something concrete, and um, I guess I'm more traditional minded. I guess I have no idea. What it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think definitely the idea of composing might be really changing. But at the same time, we have to ask. You know whether this changes for good or, in fact, we might be stepping into some weird, muddy water or something like that. Of course, I think our processes are often muddy water to begin with. But I think that、uh, it's it's really important to not become passive about things. But you know, before you just do anything because everybody else is doing it, it's it's kind of important. What I also learned these days was to try to step back and reevaluate. Like, is that really important, or is it for me? And just because I don't do Twitters or I don't do Facebook, I mean, doesn't really mean much even when it comes to writing down the music, right? In New York, there's this such a fashionable scene or the idea of living in Brooklyn. Of course, of course, Brooklyn has a lot of things going on. But I moved to Queens, Astoria, in fact, where there's this wonderful baklava place where I just brought yeah, for you today.、Yeah. But you know, it wasn't because I was rebelling against those Brooklyners. I mean, I know so many Brooklyn people who are really wonderful. But I think it's really important to have a space. I think and、uh, the space in which I could. Try to see, you know, see who I am, or try to even think about who I am, you know, and it it is constant search instead of being constantly painted up by series of texts and pictures and all that. I don't know. I find these days quite, you know, quite fascinating. At the same time, rather alarming how. Yeah, so many things are going. I think、on. I agree. It it is important to have that space, but the problem is that that space isolates you.、Mm. I mean, I don't mean like you, Yoshi. I mean like、right. us in yeah. general. Yeah. And when it comes to things like getting performances and getting things done and promoting yourself, it has to be the opposite. You have to incorporate people into your world and work with them,、right. and you know you have to let them invade your space a little bit. Yeah. But there's a balance between those two things, obviously.、Mm-hmm. Like. Am I doing this too much to the point where I don't have my own kind of like mental place where I can create something original,、mm-hmm. or am I making sure that thing is there so much that I'm missing out on opportunities and things like that? Yeah, you know, and it's important. To, it's you know, it's important、yeah. to think about that and whatever whatever that individual person is comfortable with, whether、mm-hmm. it be saying, okay, I'm just going to be on Twitter all day and also compose、yeah. while I'm on Twitter,、mm-hmm. or I'm not going to do any of that stuff. And just make sure that my world is what I want it to be. Yeah. Then that's up to the person. I think that's yeah. What what you say makes complete sense. 
I think it also has something to do with whether one is a good listener or not. Like, in other words, I think that um, it's not necessary necessarily to have Twitters or Facebook, or whatever. But I think that when it comes down to things, whether one is equipped with the I- idea of listening really well to the point that listening to something, whatever some people might say or write, and then try to get the essence of it. Because often, you know, speech, for example, there's so much subtext in the whatever they say. And I think that this idea of inundated with information really limits people's listening or percep- perceiving something into surfacial level, surface level, and, and that you don't really go much beneath that. And I find that it's a really a pity, I think. I mean, to me, that listening part is very important because to really, I, I really believe in what Fabian told me, Fabian Levy, that to com- the idea of composing and me, myself, being the first listener. And uh, he, 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 he said that and it made so much sense. And I might add to that, I'm the first listener of my music and I'm the harshest critic of my music and be, in order to do that I have to be really strongly you know critically listening to things yeah you can't be on Twitter and do that yeah yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes well I, I think that's a great place to leave it absolutely yeah hey, well, great thank, thank you for you. doing this and it was good seeing you again and thank you for the baklava which we've been eating during this interview if you, people haven't noticed <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so so much for having me